0: When, when, a government, when a government says that anything, but for ex, in, in this example we'll, we'll say homosexuality, when a government decides that it's not deviant, but that it's uh, valid and therefore um, legal and fine, which is what our government decided in 1967, from that point on, um, really what you do is you set, you set a number of things into motion, with, and, and what we're experiencing now with the gay marriage thing, it's just a natural consequence of that decision that was made. And I think sometimes maybe we lack a little bit of foresight in the sense we don't understand that certain big decisions that are made lead on to other things. But the tra- that's the trajectory. If, if, some- if something is, um, for example, homosexuality is spoken of and legislated to be fundamentally as valid as a heterosexual relationship um, and that there's, there's nothing kind of questionable, immoral, deviant or whatever about it, once a government says that then it sets into place a trajectory where numbers of things, i.e. Um, same-sex adoption, same-sex marriage they just will happen at some point down the line and so in that sense the, the, the conversation isn't really about gay marriage it's about it's about homosexuality and a few years ago we did a couple of Sundays preaching specifically into that and so if, if you've never heard um, um, just uh, the, the messages on, on that subject then please um, on the revenues circular this week there'll be a link so you can download them and listen to them. But let me say also it's not even fundamentally about homosexuality, it's, it, you have to go another one back and what it's fundamentally about is this, is is your understanding of life that it's your life or that it's... His life. That's really where the conversation is. Not just on homosexuality, but on so many things. Is my life my life? To do what I want with? When I want? How I want? Or is it loaned to me, from him, to be lived in some way or another to him? Thankfully, worshipfully. That's the conversation. And really, whatever the subject is, If someone is coming in with a, it's my life mentality, and someone else is coming in with a, it's his life mentality, you're not going to see it the same way. And so I just want to try and help you step back from the thing that seems the big current deal and understand the big deal. The big deal is, is it your life, sourced in yourself? Are you fundamentally autonomous? And that's life, just it's your life do what you like, or is it his uh, and that's, that's really the question. So, um, hopefully, so that's why it's about worldview. See, so that's why we're not going to do a whole session on that thing. I think you'd end up being drawn into something that turns out to be a bit of a cul de sac. Because the, these opinions on these matters come from a worldview. And that's, that's, the, that's the issue you've really got to now: What is life? Why are we here? Where did we come from, if anywhere? So that's 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 the big stuff. So that's why we're not going to do a session on that. But like I say, if you're particularly interested in the Bible's view teaching on homosexuality, and maybe even particularly uh, the stance of Revelation Church, you can you can click on those things that come through, and you can I think there are two sermons, probably about 50, 50 minutes long each, just so you can uh, maybe engage with that and grapple with that. If you're asking some stuff there, okay, great. So um, we, what, what we are doing are these seven questions Um, today, uh, number three uh, remove the Bible and what proof is there for Christianity um, it got the votes, so it got in. You lot voted. Don't, don't raise your eyebrows at me. You lot voted for this. And if you didn't, well, you should have voted for something else if you don't like it. This is what got the votes. It's quite an interesting question. Um, and we're going to do our best to engage with that. Just to say, uh, we will do texting. Uh, uh, any questions you have throughout the message to that number. And then at the end of the message, we'll give 10-15 minutes to Q&A. Uh, if you, if you want to explore some things about the Christian faith in a bit more of a smaller setting, um, then we're going to start an obstacle course, you should see one of these on or near your seat. Uh, we'll probably run it at the graft and I think it's looking like the preferred, the preferred <laughs> location for all Rev events at the moment. Uh, we could probably squeeze about 8 to 10 round a table. So if you, if you want to oh, yeah, that'd be really helpful to just grapple with some questions about Christianity, the Bible, what you do is you go onto that website there you type in your top three questions and over three weeks we will definitely look at those questions among other people's questions too so um, please just take one of those and do what you've got to do press enter it'll come to us and we'll send all the details uh, that you need to know so um, uh, yeah I'll be hosting that so happy to to, I'd love to have you in my front room in the Grafton where we can uh, talk about these things please come and let me in March so okay great so remove the bible and what proof is there for Christianity? Okay, I'm going to say something a little, maybe a little bit controversial to start with, and it's this: even with the Bible, I can't prove to you Christianity. Okay, there is no empirical proof for Christianity. I can't prove it, because I can't. Now, last week we looked at the fact that the Bible was historically reliable. Remember that? Okay, one of you does. Okay, well, it was pretty. I thought it was pretty good. Um, and I think we looked in quite an objective way at the fact that it is. It's a very, very reliable book historically. But let me, let me just help you understand what that means and what it doesn't mean. What it means is this, is that in John 2, when John, when John records that Jesus turned water into wine, the fact that we have that record in our Bible today means you can be really certain, you can take that to the bank that John actually wrote that. John actually wrote Jesus turned water into wine. Okay, that's the historically reliable bit. Okay? It's, but it's then a, a big jump from there to, therefore I believe Jesus actually turned water into wine. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, that is what John wrote. Yes, historically reliable. But did Jesus really do that? That's a different thing. That's about faith. It is. There's a faith issue going on there not a ridiculous throw your brains out faith but there's a faith thing going on there and so when I looked at this question I thought it was intriguing remove the Bible and what proof is there for Christianity I thought to myself what's going on there there's probably two questions behind that question the first question probably is how essential is the Bible to being a Christian like can I be a Christian but just kind of shove the Bible because I don't really like it I don't like some of the things it says I quite like Jesus so how essential is it? Can I just be a Christian and kind of sideline the Bible? So we'll we'll look at how essential is the Bible, first thing. And the second question probably is if I left aside the Bible and still wanted to be a Christian, what what's left? <laughs> what else is there other than the Bible? So that will be the second question. So that's how we're going to do it today. It won't be a long talk, probably be about twenty five minutes, then we'll go for then we'll go for the queue. The Q and A. I'm going to pray because you know what? I'm really not some sort of guru. I'm not, you know, infallible or anything of the sort. Um, Jesus, just give me a gift of speaking, so I speak. Okay, and I need His help because um, so we're dealing with things that are way beyond um, just human ability. We're dealing with huge stuff here. This is eternal stuff. I, I believe that. So I'm going to pray. And so, Father, just thank you. It's so good to have us all gathered around these kinds of questions and to be engaging seriously with this stuff and Lord we pray that it wouldn't just be academic and wouldn't just be th- theoretical, philosophical we don't want to go down silly avenues of trying to show how clever we are or we aren't what we want Lord is, is to find true full life and you promise that that is what you promise so I pray that through this, that, that life will be imparted. Please, God, do what only you can do. I can't bring life. I can talk. I pray, use the words, Lord, and please bring life, I pray. Amen. Okay, so, so how essential is the Bible, first question? That's what where, where I'm going to answer. The question that was up there. Um, Two questions. Firstly, how essential is the Bible? Well, uh, a few things. Number one, massive in terms of, it brings us a revelation of what God is like. um, Fundamentally culminating in the person of Jesus. Jesus says this, John chapter 14 verse 9, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Wow. Big statement. That's a massive statement. No prophet ever said that. No man of God, no other Bible writer ever said anything like that. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The Bible describes Jesus as the exact representation of God's nature. The stamp. It's like, you want to see God? Look at Jesus. So what does that tell us? Well, it, it tells us that God is fierce and compassionate. That's what Jesus was like. It tells us that, that God is strong but tender. That's what Jesus was like. That God is truthful but gracious, that God is humble yet mighty. You see, this this is the portrait that we get in Jesus, a beautiful picture. And so maybe I would just phrase it like this, that through creation, the wonders of creation, that even the strongest atheists would say creation is amazing, and they probably wouldn't use the term creation, but you know, the universe. All the programs, Discovery Channel, that we all say, wow, that is awesome, That that is amazing. So through creation we get these broad brushstrokes. The Bible says it's clear that there is a creator who is powerful and divine. Broad brushstroke. And through our conscience, the fact we are born with a sense of right and wrong. One of the first things little kids understand is fair and unfair. They really get it. You haven't got to teach them about that. Look at the size of the air cake. That's not fair. Right and wrong is built in from the earliest stage. So from creation and from conscience, we get a broad brushstroke of the fact that there is God who is powerful, divine, and who is concerned with right and wrong, righteousness and justice. But through the revelation of God in the Bible, culminating in Jesus and what He is like, we get the fine lines we get ah oh, we get the detail we see what god is really like that's why the bible is essential we see the, we see the detailed nuanced multifaceted beauty of who god is in jesus christ through the scripture very important That's first secondly this is one's a big deal It's a plumb line. It's an essential plumb line. It's like a plumb line is something where you've got something straight and you can measure everything else up against it. Oh, that does not, up against, oh, it looked okay, but I put it up against that. Oh, now I can see that it's crooked. See, because we don't live in a spiritual vacuum. We, don't, we, we are surrounded, aren't we, by different beliefs and ideas and philosophies and, and all of that. And so look at the UK culture, a few things about the UK culture. You may or may not have noticed, I'm sure you have. Number one, we are self-obsessed. And by that I'm talking about, not, as a, not, not obsessed with ourselves as a nation, but obsessed with ourselves as individuals. We are so wrapped up, most of us, in our own little worlds. Now the seeds for that were sown in a movement that we call the Renaissance centuries, centuries ago. There was a movement in the West that we now call the Renaissance where it was really the realisation of the self. Whereas before that, um, it, it, people thought fundamentally in quite different ways. So that has that, that grown and grown and is really, a, you could say, in full flower now with all of our self this, self that, self the other, self you know, self help, self loathing, self hate, self love, you name it, you know, we're into it. Um, so UK culture, self-obsessed, number one. Um, secondly, sex-obsessed. Um, that's obvious. Um, you know, it's it's, it's a very uh, obvious thing now. Just it, it's it's very mainstream. You particularly notice it when you have children and you suddenly you're walking down the street with them and <laughs> the bus goes by and the big poster on the side and they're like. Yes, that's David Beckham in his pants. And what's going on there is, and you, 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 everything's like sexualized everywhere. Um, and now, I guess really you would probably um, look back to the sexual uh, revolution, um, 1960s, 1970s, where all the, the norms and traditions, I'm not pretending people were sexually pure before that, but there was kind of like, if you like, there was a, how can I describe it? Um, um, there was a, a corporate way of thinking whereby there were certain things that, was, that were seen to be uh, straight and okay and acceptable and certain things that weren't, whereas the whole mentality is now different where basically do whatever's right in your own eyes and work about anyone who challenges you on it. Um, and as a result now there's just this kind of obsession. Um, with sex as a, as a, as a culture. Um, not, not only that, but we are what I would describe as fundamentalist averse. <laughs> Here's what I mean anyone or anything who really believes something absolutely, uh, believes some absolutes absolutely, we're like, whoa! You know, very often I tell people what I do, I'm a church pastor, the air goes cold. <laughs> Because you're one of those guys. You believe the Bible, you, the Bible, you know. Um, and when were the seeds of that sown? Well, pro- primarily, I guess, in the, with the whole evolutionary theory thing, doing that one in a couple of weeks, that'd be fun. But the whole Darwin's evolution, fundamentally behind that is a materialistic worldview, saying that there is no meaning, there's no overarching meaning, therefore there can really be no absolutes. Um, everything is just a, a process of random developments. And so in that, in that, in that uh, worldview, there can't be absolutes. To have absolute, so there must be a God. There must be one who brings the absolute. And so that's really what started it. But and I guess things like 9 11 and other traumatic things like that obviously put fuel on the fire, whereby everyone begins to view, funda- that's what fundamentalism or that's where, that's where the absolute belief, that's where that thing heads. So, we've got, so we're self-obsessed, sex-obsessed and fundament- fundamentalist verse as a culture, which is not the best soil in which a Bible-believing Christianity can grow. Um, so we're up against it a bit in that sense. So what do we do with those things? What do we do? How do we deal with that? Well, see, if the Bible really is a plumb line, then we've got to say, well, what does the Bible say about these things? See, because one of the things the Bible does say is this. Don't be, to Christians, it says don't be squeezed into the pattern of this world. There's an agenda that the world has to squeeze you into a pattern whereby you can only believe and say certain things that are deemed okay. If not, you get a lot of insult and accusation. But the Bible says don't be squeezed into that. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, there's, there's actually, we're right in the thick of some serious stuff going on. And instead of just being squeezed, and so we end up just saying and doing what everyone else is, actually, we're to be renewed, which will lead to a transformation. And so, just to give an example in some of these things in terms of the plumb line thing, um, the Bible, in terms of the self obsession, the Bible helps me understand oh, it's not all about me. Isn't that amazing? What a revolution! I'm, I'm, part of, I'm part of something, but I'm part of a much bigger story. And sh- most shocking of all, I'm not the hero. <laughs> what a revelation. Jesus is the hero. Oh, and I get to be involved and be part of it, but I'm part of something much bigger. There is a huge thing that God is doing, a wonderful story, a wonderful purpose, that I get to be a part of. But in the grand scheme, I'm a bit player. That's really releasing. That really, I haven't got to spend all day, every day thinking about me and getting either worked up because I'm not doing so good, or getting proud because I'm doing great, or getting whatever because I've self actualised. Praise God, I've been set free from all that. Uh, I'm loved. That's me, loved as I am. To you (laughs) too, loved as I am, forgiven doted over by a Father in Heaven who knows me every nasty, rotten, broken, stinking part of me and loves me incredible so I'm alright <laughs> I'm alright why? because he's on the throne and he loves me but I'm alright it is well so it's great, plumb line ah, freedom and then the whole uh, The Bible shows us a glorious vision of sex as as God created for the enjoyment and strengthening of marriage. But you know what? By no means essential for fullness of life. What? What did that guy say? By no means essential for fullness of life. The most fulfilled human being to ever live was a virgin, Jesus was a virgin. And he demonstrates life to the full in all of its glory. And so suddenly the wonderful thing I find happening is this is that it knocks the idea of sex as central completely sideways. Oh. So I don't have to be I don't have to be stuck in sexual slavery to this, that and the other. No. I don't I don't have to be sucked into this obsession with sex and sexual relationships and blah 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 no no it's a wonderful gift from God for a married couple praise God plumb line just a plumb line and the Bible shows me also in terms of the fundamentalist thing that actually you can absolutely believe in something absolutely true without having to either throw your brain out or blow someone up great well I'll do that then <laughs> I'll do that then. Bible shows me Jesus, the most absolute man ever to have lived. I mean, he's not Mr. Relative. I am a way. <laughs> I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the truth. I'm a life. I'm the life. And it's not just one-off. It's again and again and again and again. Absolutely absolute. But what does he do? He heals the sick has compassion on the widow touches the leper Oh, so, so we don't have to be like that if you believe in absolutes no, not at all it's a lie, it's a nonsense you see? so it's a plumb line it's beautiful number three through this book I get to understand the story of God what he's about what creation's about you mustn't just think of this as a list of rules there's some rules in it there's some commands in it yeah, 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 yeah. but fundamentally it's the story of what God is doing That God is out to rescue his rebellious people. God is out to rescue those who are running from him. He's running after them. Why? Because he needs us? No. He doesn't need a sausage. It's perfectly fulfilled in and of himself. He needs not a thing. Father, Son and Holy Spirit in perfect communion. So why then? Love. And don't ever try and explain love. Love's just love. God is love. And so God is after us. God loves us so much he gave his only son to die in our place to pay the price for our sins. Wow! It's the love of God. That's the story of God. He's winning a family to himself that can live with him and know him forever. It's the story of God. It's all in there. Start to finish. Genesis to Revelation. It's one huge overarching narrative. I get to know that because I know the Bible. Fourthly, it's vital for ongoing spiritual health. You neglect it as a believer at your own risk. There was a group of people um, who thought about nothing more than where their next meal was coming from. And they followed Jesus because he fed them miraculously the day before. And Jesus said this to them. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh, always thinking about your tummy, profits nothing. That's what he said. The words that I have spoken to you, recorded in here, are spirit and life. Wow. See? there's, There's some big stuff going on there, some massive stuff going on. No amount of food can enrich my spirit. No matter where I eat and how good, how well cooked it is. And it's an enjoyable thing. I'm not knocking good food, but it cannot enrich my spirit. What can? The words of Jesus. Because they're spirit and they are life. The psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So far from leading me into some kind of strange medieval darkness, the Bible understands people and life perfectly and brings beautiful wisdom if you humble yourself and submit to the wisdom of God in it. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I think That is huge because we're all about freedom as a culture, but we're not about truth. Jesus said, it's the truth that sets you free. You just go for freedom, you end up in slavery. Sexual freedom leads to sexual slavery. I'm trapped now, mastered by 101 lusts and I'm in trouble. That wasn't a personal testimony. That was just an example. Uh.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you see where it goes? No, it's just for freedom. Belief of slavery. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you remain. You let the word nourish you. You will then know the truth. And the truth will set you free. It's a big deal. Really, really big deal. And then I guess finally, just to say, is that um, this book shows me that it's the book of spirituality, it's the book of morality. It shows me that you cannot separate morality and spirituality. Because in our culture we really want to do that. We, we're well up for a random spiritual experience and we'll not question where it came from, what source it was, what the messages behind it. doesn't matter, it just made me feel good. Listen, the Bible gives, helps us to discern between light and darkness, between truth and deception, between spiritual good and spiritual Bad, and uh, you, if you if you just walk into the whole I want to be spiritual thing, and don't give any thought to that, I want to say graciously you're being naive. And there's so much stuff out there. I want to say graciously you're being naive. You could find yourself in all kinds of trouble because there's a whole thing going on out there, that is uh, a, it's a big deal, whole realm of stuff, spiritual reality. You just wander into that with some kind of oh okay, you know anything goes. No. There are, there are forces and powers out there that, will, that are, to, are out to destroy you. You don't fool around with this stuff. Okay. So, this, so the Bible is essential. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but imagine I was to have a foolish moment and shelve the Bible and still try and be a Christian. Oh, what's left? Well, I've got two things not many um, and they're both linked to the Bible sorry so, but they're not the Bible they are separate, but they're linked so I want to say that no, because if I just start saying you'll say hold on isn't that linked to the Bible yes it's linked to the Bible but it's different so the first thing is this is the indwelling presence of God in the heart that's different from the Bible the Bible speaks of it but it's different if you could give me the Bible that isn't the indwelling presence of God in my heart that is a different thing you see the bible is the record of the gospel but it's not the gospel the bible points to the one who is the gospel Jesus Jesus is the gospel Jesus is the good news it's in him that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden and he is bigger than a book and knowing God and walking with him is more than having a bible Although the Bible, as you've hopefully realised by now, is central. But I'm talking about a relationship with God, where He actually indwells you by His Spirit, where He speaks through dreams, visions, encounters, where He empowers your life to walk out of things that previously you were trapped in, where He whispers words of comfort either through other people or even directly into the heart. It's a relationship with God whereby He lives in you by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Himself testifies to this. Listen to this promise in the Gospel of John it's beautiful and again this promise links to the Bible Jesus says this uh, if anyone loves me he will keep my word oh, ok so if I love him I'll keep his word right? and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him wow that's a promise that's a keeper take it to the bank the father and the son will come to you by the Holy Spirit and indwell you that is something you experience, know, delight in and enjoy. So that as a believer, when you sin, you, you know, the gr- you grieve the Holy Spirit. It's not, oh no, I've broken the rules, I hope no one finds out. No, when you're really a believer and you sin, it's the, you, you know, I've grieved the most precious person in my life who lives inside of me. It's, 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 it's love injured more than rule broken. And and he's like, oh God, forgive me, have mercy on me. And as I do confess my sins, he's faithful to forgive and wash me. But I live with him. Strange as it might sound to someone's ear who's not known it, he, he lives inside of me. The Bible is not enough. What I mean by that is plenty of people have read it without finding this relationship. We believe the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean that the message is automatically understood. You need the Holy Spirit to understand the message. Now, I'm not talking about weird Bible code stuff. You know, when you've got the Holy Spirit, you can read what's really going on. If you add up the third letter and the thirteenth letter, it says T-I. And if you turn it the other way, that says it.
1: <laughs>
0: it's not all that. Weird stuff, right? It's not all that. You know, you're on the internet, blah, blah, blah. Crazy. No. Here's what I mean. When you have the Holy Spirit, you can read what is clearly there, but it means something. Instead of going, oh that's nice, or mm, I'm really pleased for you that you're a Christian now. Or instead of going, mm, or instead of laughing it off or mocking it, you go, oh man, this is life. This is life. Why? Because the veil has been lifted and you get it. You get this is God speaking into my heart. Spirit brings revelation through the scripture. So, you can throw me into a dark room with no Bible. Please don't, but you could. And I'd still be indwelt by God. That's the difference. He will never leave me or forsake me. He's promised it. So, He's with me forever. You can take my Bible and you can burn it. Jesus is with me forever. And then the second thing is, I just would say it's changed lives. It's changed, I mean, it's just changed people. That's remarkable. And that's kind of the same as the first point. I know that, yeah. But it's kind of a little bit different, too. And the first point, I'm focusing on the fact that that person is in, you're now indwelt by God. But now I'm going to look at, look at the change that makes. It's incredible. You see, where education, politics, and social reforms all fail is in that they can't change the human heart. They're important and they can help and they can resource and make things better, but they cannot change the human heart, though often. The underlying assumption in their promises is that they can, but they can't. Only Jesus can change a human heart. Because the gospel promises that as you come to Christ, as you come to this one who died for you and rose again, and as you turn away from your sin and cling to him, in that moment he will give you a brand new heart. He will take out your heart of stone and he'll put in a heart of flesh. And on that heart of flesh will be written the very laws of God, in the sense that your deepest desire now will be to love him and honour him. You see, that's a miracle. And, and that is it's like an epicentre of an earthquake. It, it sends out tremors in every direction of life. When you come to know Christ, there's this glorious revolution. The reality is this, is that the Bible says that we are living epistles. You see, we call the letters in the New Testament epistles because that's what it means. It means letters. Whereas one of the guys who wrote the epistles, Paul, listen to what he says to describe Christians. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3, he says this, he says, You show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. If you're a Christian here, you are the first Bible most people will read. Okay? Not a lot of people in the UK are currently reading a lot of Bible. So if you are here as a believer, you are the first Bible most people are going to read. I want to ask, what gospel are they going to read from your life? When I ask myself that question, it drives me to my knees. And I say, Jesus, give me grace. (sighs) Give me grace. Because you have changed me. Man, you've changed me. But man, there's a long way to go. There's a long way to go. You know. And... uh, I've just been so grateful for God's grace this week, to be honest. There's been a couple of moments where you just think, God, just, I just so need your mercy because, you know, I'm not living up to even my expectations of myself, let alone yours. It just, and, and I know the grace of God. Actually, I just remembered. do you know what? My righteousness, my right standing before God is not based on my own performance. It's based on the perfection of Jesus. It's a gift. And then I can get up and, and go again. We need grace, don't we? We need such grace. But we've got to we've got to we've got to engage with the reality that we are the first Bible that many people will read. And I don't know if you've ever thought about how did how did Christianity spread so fast? It was basically because the early believers who were mostly poor and slaves loved each other. They just loved one another. They were just selfless. You know, when there was a plague in town and everyone left, they'd just stick around to care for the sick. And they wouldn't just care for their own, they'd care for people outside the church and even secular historians write about it and it just, it was this love revolution, it just turned the world upside down. They weren't necessarily impressive, noble, rich people, but man could they love. And when faced with death there was a serenity, a peace, a joy, why? Because they were already living an eternal life. You see, Jesus said eternal life, John 17 verse 3, is that they know you Father and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life starts now, when you're indwelt by God and, and it comes to, leads you to a place where you're able to not be weighed down with the worries of this age. You're able to run freely because you know, you know what, it's not a case of, oh I hope heaven's real, heaven's started. See new life at work in me now. That's going to be the completion when my body wastes and I get my new body in glory. But it's started already. And so when, you're, when you live like that, you can face pressure and suffering and loss and pain with, with tears, yes, and all of that because we're human. But also with peace and with joy and with sacrificial love. So there it is. You can't remove the Bible from this thing. Um, and you, Well, you can, but you, you haven't still got this thing anymore. <laughs> it's not Christianity anymore. But knowing the Lord is a lot more than being given a book. It's being joined in spirit to God himself. It's being gathered up in the triune life of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, questions? my man Dave. Now what Dave does is basically he will pick the questions that seem that they're probably going to be most suited, most helpful for everyone to hear and any any ones that we don't cover please feel free to come and chat afterwards to me or someone else and we'll try and engage with you over your particular question if we don't cover it. All right cool well we haven't got a
1: huge amount of time so I guess we'll just do uh, maybe just do a couple. Um, What about other texts that claim to be from God <laughs> text, sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what about other scriptures that claim to be from God, like the Quran yeah,
0: yeah what about the other, the other scriptures, the other texts it's a massive question, I'm surprised one of the questions that wasn't in the seven is what about other other religions, I'm surprised about that but anyway, there you go um, what you need to do is if you, if you really want to look into that then you've got to get the texts up against one another one of the things we do, we're a little bit naive is we tend to say, well look that person believes the Quran and and they're nice and that person believes the Hindu scriptures and they're nice so they must all be true Um, you need a little bit more discernment than that it's it's not about who's nice and who's not you've got to get the the texts the teachings up against one another and just compare them because the first conclusion you'll come to when you do that is they can't all be true they just can't all be true because they they contradict one another at, at their core so you can't do that and then once you've done that, you need to work out, okay, so which one is? Which is massively countercultural because we're really not into the truth. We're really into, well, you have your thing, I have mine, it's all cool. The problem is, is that they can't both be true. Either one is, or none of them are. They're not all. So then you need to get into them, you need to do a Bible study, you need to, you need to, you need to read the Quran. you need to read the texts, and you need to say to God with an honest and sincere heart, God, I want to find you. See, if you're wanting to find God, God's already at work in you. We don't naturally want to know God. If you're here and you wouldn't say you're a Christian or you're not sure where you're at, you know, you're kind of. But actually, you want to know, God is at work. God is at work. That's not natural, that's supernatural. Okay? So you can say, God, if you're there, show me because I want to know. I'll tell you He will. I'll tell you He will. And I have every confidence what He'll show you. Uh,
1: I'm going to. There's, there's two ways to ask this. Sorry, there's two ways to ask this. There's two questions asking the same question, but I'll read them both. Uh, so, people in the Old Testament didn't have a Bible, but they still had amazing relationships with God. Doesn't that imply I can live for and with God without a Bible? Uh, or another sort of phrasing that I guess is Is it possible to be a Christian without a Bible, for example, in, cost, in countries where Bibles aren't allowed, or perhaps you're illiterate and can't read the Bible? Yeah. Uh, if yes, can God reveal Himself? Why
0: can't we all do it that way? <laughs> it's so funny. The second question is, it's a kind of, makes me laugh because it's a kind of funny thing, In it? In the countries where people want to be Christians but there's no Bible, they're, they're copying out by candlelight whatever scripture they can find and, and unravelling it in their prison cell and reading it. And the last thing they're thinking is, I wish I could do this without the Bible. You see... That's, you said that. You said if you went and visited them and said, "Why are you, why are you doing this?" They'd say, "This is God's word. This is God's word." So to come at it from the angle of why can't I just—I'm not being funny, but you have you you missed it. You've really lost the plot. I'm not being horrible. I'm just—I'm—you've really have. You've not understood it. You, to ask that there must be an aversion to the Bible that needs working through. Okay, so if you are averse to the Bible, please—I I won't buy. it, I'll be nice. Let's talk about that. Why would you even think like that? Those people were—you know—I, you know—I've you know, taken Bibles to countries where, you know, there's no way to do. And pe- you know pe- you're, its just—it's—you've got people, you know, at, at risk of their life picking up these books off you. 'Cause they're just hungry for God's word. That's that's the deal. The Old Testament thing, they did, they had the scriptures, they had the Old Testament scriptures, and um, the Old Testament scriptures are full of full of promise, full of full of promises to what God is going to do, promise of salvation. There's enough gospel promise in the Old Testament um, to to lead to salvation, absolutely. So they had they had their Old Testament and that's what they would have been that's what they, how they would have come to know the Lord, through the, through the revelation of the Old Testament, which we looked at last week. So, yeah. it's okay. I,
1: mean, I just wonder if there's something in that kind of. Um, I don't know, actually. Because obviously it's hard to know what someone means, but is there a thing of, like, why doesn't God just reveal himself? Why have we got to do it through the Bible? Why, why can't some some people. Aren't, some people can't get hold of a Bible, mm. why doesn't God reveal himself that
0: way? It might be something like that. Great. Okay. Thank you. Uh, much purer heart than me. You, they're not, much less suspicious than me. Okay. So, uh, very often in countries where the Bibles aren't allowed, Jesus very often will save people through dreams. They'll have a dream of Jesus. They'll literally, they'll, you know, but it's not just some funny you know, funny dream. They see the Lord Jesus and he reveals himself to them as the Lord Jesus and speaks truth to them that they later find out is in the Bible and they come to know him that way. So God absolutely does. Um... And, fundam- and interestingly, fundamentally, the way that people are supposed to come to Jesus is not through the Bible. It's through other Christians speaking about Jesus. And so, that's why we have this thing called the Great Commission on us, where we are called to go, wherever we are, locally, or wherever we go, go, or stay, go, we're called to go and tell people about Jesus, because that is the primary way through which God reveals himself to people in a saving way, as we speak about Jesus so um, there's that and, and last, why, would, why, why the book why the book? remember last week God has put it in writing it's beautiful it's beautiful because no matter how I'm feeling up day, down day and I'm a bit bipolar you must have figured it out by now you've been around for a while right, good day, bad day who knows it's, it says the same thing yeah so I'm not I'm not I'm not captive to my own temperament and mood and oh does God love me today I know I know, I know, I know. So it's a beautiful gift that God's put it in writing. Cool. All right, last one.
1: Uh, it's a great question as well. In fact, there's two, two ways of saying it uh, <laughs> again. Um, but, uh, yeah, because it's coming out of what you're saying about people wanting to know God. It says, how do, how do I get the veil lifted? How can I get the Spirit to dwell in me? Mm. And another person asks, how much of the details do you need to know and believe to
0: be saved? Great you don't need to know much I've learned most of what I know since being a Christian and I look back sometimes and I think flip what was I even getting myself into because I didn't really you know God worked on my heart to a point where I, where I was able to say Jesus I, just, I, was able to, I was able by God's working by God's power and God's help to turn away from I can do it my way did all of that and turn to all Jesus and say I'm all yours you can only do that by the Holy Spirit repentance, a change of mind, and faith, trust, a clinging to Jesus. That's, that's the work of God. If you can do that, you're ready to know Him. You're ready to, and from that point on, the Spirit will come and indwell you, and lift the veil, and begin to teach you beautiful things from God's Word. Sometimes people fall into this thing, I need to know, I need to knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Actually, the Bible says knowledge puffs up. You can get to a place where you just know so much, and you think, I'm still in as much state as I've ever been in. What is going on here? You don't need more knowledge. You'll need to learn but to be saved you need, you, need, you need to repent and trust in Jesus and I want to just end by taking us back to that scripture that Dan read earlier come let us reason together says God though your sins are like scarlet scarlet there will be white as snow and I, I just you know what we're trying to do through this series is really just, just help people as much as possible we've got no interest in pressurising or coercing anyone because we're utterly confident in God okay? but we just want to help people and so we give opportunity. If you just think, I, just, I want someone to pray with me at the end of this service now. I, I want this, I want G- Jesus. Or, or I'm not sure, but something's happening and I want to talk it through more and pray it through more. I just You know, you, you know in that moment where you just feel like, I need someone alongside just to help me here. Then we, I'll do that, my, my wife, others in the church. You know, we've got people that will just help you. We want you to find Jesus, you know.